Greetings, Carl here. One of the huge problems we face when it comes to making financial decisions, and, and this shows up particularly, it, it, it shows up all over our financial decisions, but particularly with our investment decisions, is this problem of overconfidence. Overconfidence is a tricky little bugger. Right, like you just you can't you can't you can't quite get your hands around this overconfidence thing. And here, here's the reason it's a dilemma: is overconfidence is what you get when experts behave exactly as you would expect experts to behave. Right, the the more you know about a subject the more you've got to check yourself, like little heat check, brother, <laughs> the more you've got to check yourself for overconfidence. Right? And especially when you mix overconfidence with confirmation bias. We're just so clear that the decision we're going to make is right. I'm so confident in this decision, and then I go gather a bunch of evidence to prove how confident I am. Like it's really, really tricky. Now, I, I, I have been thinking about overconfidence for over a decade now, and um, you know, there's so much that pl- fake it till you make it. Right? There's so much that plays into it. Just little. It's it's just really tricky. Uh, it's one of the things that Kahneman points to among among others, that just because you know about it doesn't mean you're any less likely to fall prey, fall victim to its little tricks. It's a little trickster. So here's the only, like, I'm sure there are plenty of other things that help. I just haven't thought of them. Here's something that I think can help. Like, you just sort of need somehow to consider if you're wrong and here's, here's, here's a conversation that you could use. I find it helpful for me. It's called, creatively enough, the overconfidence conversation. And it's a little tricky. Um, you you got to be, if you're going to have it with yourself, you got to be comfortable being pretty direct with yourself. And if you're going to have it with, with others, especially with clients, you got to be gentle here. Um, so here, here's the way it works. Let's just say, I'm just going to pick an example. Let's just say that I, I decide that it makes a lot of sense for me to buy, you know, move all my company to hot stock A. Um, I don't love that name. What could we do that would be more creative? Like, I don't know. We can. I, okay. Hot stock. Hot stock Inc. I've decided that I'm going to move all my money not all of it. I'm gonna move. I'm gonna. I'm gonna reallocate a chunk of my money to Hot Stock Inc. Hot Stock Inc. And um, it, I'm just convinced of it. And then, of course, I let you know. I, I let confirmation bias do its little job. Confirmation bias and overconfidence, I think, are like they're like the evil little twins. Um, overconfidence does its thing, and then and then confirmation bias does its thing, and I find all this evidence that Hot Stock Inc. is going to the moon, right? So I'm going to reallocate a, a chunk of my money. So here's the overconfidence conversation. I was having it with myself. Actually, I'm going to pretend like I was having this with a client. Like I'm having this with a friend or a client. So it's not me. So my buddy's convinced that he's going to buy hot. He's going to move a bunch of money to Hot Stock Inc. 
is convinced. He gathers all this evidence. You know, overconfidence does its thing. Confirmation bias does its thing. We sit down. Here's how we'd have this conversation. It consists of three questions. The first two are rather easy. The third one's where you have to be gentle. Um, the first question, question number one. So let's just say my buddy's name is Sally. Sally, well, no, we should use a man's name because there is research. This is not sexist. There is research to, that points to men, particularly single men, are more overconfident than any of their population. They're more overconfident than married men. They're more overconfident than married women. And they're way more overconfident than single women. So we got to have this be a man. So Bob. So Bob, here's my question for you, Bob. So here's question number one. If you were right about this decision, if you were right and it turns out correct, hot stocking does its thing, whatever it is you think it will do. If you're right, how will your life be different? Okay, I've asked this question certainly over a hundred times, you know, hundreds of times, not thousands, but hundreds of times. And I almost always, because, you know, Bob, Bob's not totally overconfident. He's not crazy. He's just overconfident. So he's not going to bet his life savings on this. He's going to allocate a little bit of more money than he should to Hot Stock Inc. Um, you know, the answer to this question always has been, ah, it'd be a little different, right? Marginally different, right? Like maybe I'd retire a little earlier. Maybe I'd take a bigger trip. Maybe I'd buy a different car, right? But it's not, it's not going to be absolutely life-changing. So question number one, if you were right, how would your life be different? Normally, that's sort of marginally different. Question number two, if you were wrong, you know, let's just pretend hot stocking goes, gets cut in half. Is that possible? Yeah, of course it is. I can point you to a million examples. Hot stocking goes to zero. Is that possible? Yeah, of course it is. I can point you to plenty of examples, right? So let's just, if, if just for a minute, just for a minute, set everything aside. And here's the question, Bob. If you were wrong and hot stocking gets cut in half or goes to zero, how would your life be different? Now, normally the answer to that is like, ooh, man, that would hurt. Like, I'd have to work an extra 10 years or I couldn't go in that family. Like, and this is just, this is just sort of, it's using loss aversion as a righteous trick to help people understand, right? Like, loss feels more painful than gain. And it may indeed be true. Yeah, it's going to hurt a lot more, right? For most people, it is. So every time I've asked this question, the answer has been like, ooh, wow, that would hurt, you know? So that's question number one. If you're right, how would your life be different? Question number two, if you're wrong, how would your life be different? And then this is the third question. You gotta be gentle. I think the way to be gentle may be to be really direct with your friend. Like, hey, Bob, listen, you know, you may, you may punch me in the nose for what I'm about to ask you, but you should punch me in the nose if I didn't ask you. So here's question number three. Have you ever been wrong before? Right? Have you ever been wrong before? The goal here is just to remove a little bit of the ego to sort of point out like, whoa, am I, you know, like we're just trying to add a little bit of reality to this overconfidence situation. So I've found that overconfidence conversation to be really helpful. Um, certainly with myself, whenever I ask myself, like, have you ever been wrong before? I'm like, oh, geez, yeah. Remember InfoSpace, 10 grand? That was a lot of money then, and it's a lot of money now, and it's worth exactly zero except for the value of the frame stock certificate that I have because it reminds me that I've been wrong before, right? So, yeah, I've been wrong before. Oh, okay, wow. I should maybe, maybe I should just, little heat check there. Like, let's just check, check the overconfidence at the door. 
Now, that doesn't stop, right? Like, obviously it can't stop. But the idea is just to throw. Can we just throw, can we just pump the brakes just a little bit? Just a little bit to remind ourselves. So that's that's overconfidence, my friends. I, I don't know how else you deal with it. Um, I don't know how else you deal with it. What's interesting to me is there seems to be a spot that some people get to, and you know these people. They're like the really wise sages. You know, you see them in all fields, physics, Richard Feynman, right? Like you see, you see these really smart people. Um, I'm thinking of Gene Fama and Ken French and some of the things they say, right? Super smart people. That, that, that there seems to be like a little, like, like a hump that you, that some people get over. I don't know what the distinguish, I don't know what the variable is that distinguishes these people, but they get over it and they, they end up saying like, geez, the more I learn, the less I know, the less I'm sure of anything. And so therefore I'm going to kind of hedge my bets, right? So this problem, overconfidence is a problem of experts. And then there seems to be some divergence where some experts get to a spot where they're like, wow. I'm not sure how much I know. I, I, I just, I was thinking about, it was a biologist that worked with apes for 25 years. Some of you may know the name. I just listened to a podcast with him and Peter Atia, and he was just saying, look, I, I know nothing. I know nothing. Here's the world expert on this subject. And he's saying, I know nothing. It was stress and the impact on our brains. And he was like, I know nothing. So there's some, this problem of experts, there gets to be some place where it deviates, where some experts get to the point where they like, you know what? It's a deep, wise sense of humility. And the rest of us continue on in our, our, our overconfident ways. Oh, boy. Well, may we all be the former instead of the latter, right? Hope that helps. As always, like, look, I'd love to hear your reaction to this. I feel like I'm just talking into the ether. Um, you know, I, so as always, hello at behaviorgap.com. Please throw in the subject line podcast. Hello at behaviorgap.com. Podcast in the subject line. Share your thoughts, questions, any subjects you'd like me to cover. If you have any questions, send those. Like, would you like me to do, I, I'd gladly grab a couple questions and answer them on this, on, on an episode here. So that's it. Talk to you soon.